3: And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky, back with you, Buck. It's uh, it's week two of the NFL season. We've got, I believe, what do they call this? Week three or week four, depending on when your college team started. But uh, we're in the middle of it. How you doing, man?
4: Nah, no, good, man. Looking forward to the weekend. And, and actually, would it being Thursday, like we got Thursday night football. We have the Giants and the Washington Football Team. Uh, taking place, we got a bunch of good college games this weekend, and then the second slate of NFL games. So it's a a football festival,
0: as yeah, we would say. I want to I want to get to some fun stuff today. We we were going to talk about this uh, uh, roster report which was just released. NFL does this every year; they send out a, a press release with all the information on the opening day rosters. And we talked a little bit about that on uh, on the Move the Six TV show on Monday. Again, you can catch that each and every Monday. That is at three PM Eastern uh, on NFL Network. Uh, But this is broken down a little bit more. So talking about, you know, schools that are most represented in the National Football League, where the quarterbacks came from, some other interesting nuggets. We'll get to that uh, in just a moment. Going to talk about uh, one high-ranking college player that I think both of us, um, there's there's a red flag. Let's just put it that way. There's a red flag. We're going to have a a topic, uh, uh, an interesting conversation on that topic. Uh, But first of all, I thought we've had two shows since the NFL weekend. But is there any leftovers? You know, it's like Thanksgiving. You you Still, there's a little bit left over. Is there anything left over on your plate here from what you saw week one?
4: I mean, look, man, there's a ton of stuff that uh, I would say I have. Uh, One, we talked about this in the offseason. We talked about systems and systems elevating quarterbacks. And we saw the Shanahan system. And you and I both professed that that is the best system for a quarterback. If we were running the team, that we would like to see that be the offensive system and we saw how that system has taken average players and made them play at an all-star level, Kirk Cousins and Jerry Goff and some of those guys. But last year, we got a chance to see how the system helped Aaron Rodgers rediscover his game and reemerge as an MVP. So now I look at the Seahawks play, and I'm looking at Russell Wilson, and everyone is raving about this offense. Russell Wilson was 18 for 23. He had 251 yards. He had four touchdowns. Um, they ran the ball effectively for about 140 yards. And lo and behold, I'm like, here we go again. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the system help a superstar play at an MVP level, even though it's after one game. And it's just, I think we've talked about it. The overwhelming majority of NFL players need to be in the right system to kind of augment their talent. Mm -hmm. And when you put a great player in a system that does that, man, you see – High level, high production, high performance, high achievement. And I think we're going to see that not only in Seattle, but when you looked at the game in LA with Matthew Stafford, it's another example. You put him in a you put a great quarterback in that system, it's a game changer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've always talked about it. We've talked about the three P's, you know, when you when you look at quarterbacks, having the protection with the offensive line, having the playmakers, but maybe most importantly having the play caller. And so now you're seeing the system marry up with the talent. Now you can have a great system and an average quarterback and go to the Super Bowl. We've seen that, right? Yeah. You can have an unbelievable quarterback and an average system and go to the Super Bowl. You want to win the whole thing, have MVPs, you combine the two things together. You've got a great quarterback and a great system, and then we'll watch out. Yeah, watch out
4: because like and I'll say this like as I can talk about Matthew Stafford and him. there have been times where I've talked about him being an MVP candidate in the past when he was in Detroit, but the Matthew Stafford that played uh on Sunday night with the Rams, he is scary. And I think you have a greater appreciation for his talents now that he's playing in a system that really takes some of the pressure off while still allowing him to be Matthew Stafford. But in thinking about that, like kind of shifting, I think the LA Rams are like the Brooklyn Nets, right? Because everyone talks about, Hey, if they get an injury, the lack of depth or whatever, I hear that. But there is something to star power and having guys (laughs) like there's something to. uh, Yeah. I mean, we may not have depth, but our our number ones are far superior to your number ones.
0: And it just makes it a lot easier when I got better players than you. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, You know, you're talking about that division, Buck, and I'm looking at it. So Seattle, Seattle had 28 points in that in their opener. Um, If you look at the team that's got the most points, just one week, right? San Francisco, number one, mm-hmm. 41 points. Arizona, number three, 38, tied for number two with 38 points a game. The Rams, 34 points a game. Like, that division, man, there is firepower uh, in that division.
4: And I think you have to, DJ, because here's the thing. We always talked about it. You have to build your team to win the division. And so when it becomes that arms race and all of a sudden you're in Seattle and what? The Rams got Matthew Stafford. <laughs> Whoa. The Niners got – Trey like, it starts a trickle-down effect because that certainly impacted everything. When Matthew Stafford comes over, because that was early in the offseason, he comes over, it changes the game because everyone is like, all right, we got to up the ante. We got to make sure. We got to make sure we have enough. We may not be able to hold everybody down, so now we got to be able to go score.
0: I want to get to – Joe Burrow and what we've seen from the Cincinnati Bengals because this is one of the things that's great about social media there's a lot of stuff we don't like about it but one of the things I love is there's some accountability in there and and we Mm -hmm. have people that listen to us and watch us and I had uh I think more than one person a couple folks reached out and said hey you guys did not talk about Joe Burrow and kind of the recap show on Monday and we got an hour trying to jam as much stuff in I know we talked about Jamar Chase so we had a little bit of Bengals in there but we Mm -hmm. did not hit on Joe Burrow So, hey, you guys are right. The way Joe Burrow played coming off injury, he deserves to be talked about. So I know we're a couple days removed. But just your thoughts on on Burrow and what you saw from that Cincinnati offense.
4: Well, one, I like the Cincinnati offense because um, in going back and looking at that game, a few things stood out. One, Joe Burrow was solid because they were protected and they didn't put too much on his plate. Mm -hmm. Two, they have quietly made Joe Mixon the driving force of that offense. Joe Mixon touched the ball 48% of the Bengals' offensive touches, he accounted for. 29 runs, four receptions. He had 150 of their uh, scrimmage yards. When they run the offense through him, it allows them to do things in the passing game that makes the game easier for Joe Burrow. And this Bengals team is really talented on offense like T Higgins, Tyler Boyd. I mean, they have some weapons. Joe Burrow's good. They can do some things at you offensively. And a team that we thought was going to be pretty good this year, the Vikings, they tore them up. And if he doesn't, if Zach Taylor doesn't gamble unnecessarily on a fourth down call when they have the game 21-7, they probably stretch away and run away from the Minnesota Vikings instead of this game being a tight game that goes to overtime.
0: Yeah, only cautionary tale, and I thought Joe threw the ball really well. I thought he he had his feet in the ground. He was strong. You know, coming off that injury, sometimes you want to see, okay, can he – he's generating some force and some some power from his lower half, and I thought you did see that. Um, the the go ball to Jamar Chase was – I loved it because on that one, you had you had uh, goes on, on each side on the outside. You had kind of a too high look before the snap. And then you had the corner over – I think it was Bashad Breeland who was over Jamar Chase – had eyes inside and was down a little bit closer and Then you had a little bit more cushion at the top. And I just, I just, I love sometimes just trying to climb inside the head of a quarterback and you're like, okay, it's kind of mirrored here. Um, mm-hmm. I, neither one of the safeties, they ended up dropping down. So there was almost like, kind of like uh, they matched up on the inside and then you had a free. So there's both outside guys are, it's your choice, dealer's choice. Mm-hmm. But when you come up there and you see eyes inside then I see him four yards off, I'm like, <laughs> he got no shot against Jamar chase in that, in that situation. So Joe burrow just looks him off a little bit and lays it up there beautifully. But I thought burrow looked good. I thought he looked healthy, Buck, he got hit seven times. He got sacked five times and that's they're too much. that's too much, man. And they're going to, and we've seen it. You know what Cleveland can do with their front, the, you know miles garrett and company you saw what pittsburgh can do with with their group and now melvin ingram looks like he found the fountain of youth uh with that group opposite of tj watt and and they're really good on the interior as well and then you got baltimore is going to go as we've seen cover zero all game long they got to play better man I, I know they ran the ball effectively and you talked about taking some pressure off that's great but you got to have better pass pro than what they had in that game
4: yeah no that's problematic i mean it's a huge issue like uh if if they're not able to keep Joe Burrow protected, inevitably he's going to get beat up just because he's playing behind a porous offensive line, or he's playing behind a bad system that doesn't protect him. The one thing that I think as a coach play call, you have to think about is when I'm dialing up these plays, how can I keep him protected? And yeah. I know we're in an era where everyone wants to get five out in a route. Sometimes it's better to have that max protection, because when you look at Tom Brady, go back to like Tom Brady in his heyday, with the Patriots it's either five out quickly Mm -hmm. where the rush can't get home or when he pushes it down the field DJ it is almost it's
0: a wall protection
4: two and three man routes where I can push it down the field and that's the trick in my mind to being really really good is you have to understand how to protect the quarterback to make sure that he doesn't feel pressure in his face so he can throw the ball down the field
0: one other trend to keep an eye on as we as we go into week two I saw it doing the Charger game against Washington. Washington's got a really talented front. And we think about ways to negate a pass rush, right? And I think a lot of times we talk about those two things. You go empty, you get the ball out right away. Or you max protect and you keep everybody in, create a wall. You can chip. You can try different things. To me, the most underrated way to handle a pass rush is tempo. Do not let those guys roll through. Just get your tempo going. Get on the ball and get cranking. I saw it in Washington. They were hands on hips, Buck, early in that game. And they kind of and they did it early. They didn't do it throughout the game. But I oh, think nice. there's almost something with that. You're oh. juiced up, you're ready to go, and all of a sudden boom, 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 boom. And you don't get off, you can't get off the field. No. don't, don't let them, don't let them
4: breathe. Don't no. let them breathe. Keep them on it, wear them out, starch them. all of that. Because the hardest thing to do, DJ, and we saw this going all the way back to the Patriots Falcons Super Bowl. It's hard to rush the passer 50, 60 yeah. times a game.
0: <laughs> oh. And so yeah.
4: if I can limit it and not allow you to. Oh, can I reach? It's almost like a WWE thing, and yeah. you, you're reaching for the tag. No, yeah. no, 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 no! You come back to the center of the thing. Like that's what that's what the Chargers are able to do. Like uh Chase Young and Montez Sweat are just reaching out. They're all no. over the turnbuckle, reaching. No, 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 no! You come back here. I'm gonna put you back in the figure four lock for a minute. Uh,
0: that's funny. There. That's hilarious. Uh, a couple other guys I wanted to discuss. Uh, just watching tape, staying in that division in the uh, AFC North. Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa Buck is made for modern football. And the best thing that I saw when going back and watching all the tape that, that you watched during the week was him on kickoff. I remember I remember I put it on his tape when he got drafted of this huge hit he had on kickoff at Notre Dame. Buck, he's 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 making tackles like the 10, 12 yard line on on kickoffs. I mean, that is a that's a football player. And then now oh, they've, yeah. they've got a nice role for him defensively. His speed plays, his instincts play. That that little medical thing that popped up that was overblown that caused him to drop was a gift that's going to keep on giving for a long time for the Cleveland Browns. Oh, man, you talk about a big-time player.
4: DJ, I got a chance to see him in the preseason, and he was all over the place. Yeah. I mean, he was even better than advertised in terms of, like, trying to project how he would play at Notre Dame. He is such a pro, and he's such a pro in today's era of utilizing guys who have hybrid playmaking ability on the second level. He can do a lot, man. He can do so much. Impact player, and I love the fact
0: that he's making an contribution on teams. Yeah, no doubt. Um, any other any other guys you want to jump on here before we uh, we get into some of these college things? No, no, no let's go. All right, let's uh, let's jump over there. I was going to add one little bonus thing, which is. Um, Diami Brown, I know he didn't have many numbers in that game, but mm-hmm. in, going on the field before that game and talking to the Washington coaches, um, they love him, Buck. They think he's going to be a really good player. And with Terry McLaurin, he's going to get a lot of attention and coverage. Taylor Heineke is a little bit better than people give him credit for. He runs around, yeah. makes some things happen. Keep an eye on Diami Brown. Um, they played a night, right, against the Giants. So that's my little sleeper pick for you there. Diami Brown, you're North Carolina Tar Heel.
4: Okay, so like people that are going – that went crazy over Devontae Smith last year in the run-up to the draft – uh, I want to say their numbers are comparable in terms of the amount of deep passes, deep pass touchdowns over the last two years. De'Ami Brown is a vertical threat. Now yeah. he doesn't have a very elaborate
0: or intricate route tree. But see, that's what that, but that's what they told me. That so I said I was talking to them because that's what I saw at North Carolina, and they said, mm-hmm. you know what, we were blown away because we we thought, okay, we're getting our vertical guy. He's like he gets in here and this guy can run routes, he can drop his weight, he can get in and out, he can do everything. They just didn't they just didn't really have him do that in North Carolina. So it was almost like a, an awakening when they got him there it was like, "Oh, we got a real dude like he can do all this other stuff." Cuz I, I said the same exact thing you did. Off college tape, I'm like, "He's a vertical vertical guy. Like, no, 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 no. Trust me, this is a complete receiver. He can run routes."
4: No, he, he look, he he has the ability to do some things on the outside. And if you're the Washington football team, one of the things that you're looking for is you're trying to push the ball down the field. You're trying to um, figure out a way where you have a good running game. You want to be able to have a vertical pass attack to complement it. And so they have speed on the outside. I would say they still need to upgrade their running game part of it. Um, Antonio Gibson is a fine player. I don't know if he's a bell cow player that is going to command your attention when you're a defense in terms of talking about hey, we got to stop this run. But they certainly have enough playmakers and pass catchers down the field where they can impact
0: you. I I'm mean, interested to watch that game. You, know, you might be listening to this. That game could already be over, depending on when you're catching this, this episode. But uh, uh, Washington, I think their front should be able to get after the Giants. We'll see. Maybe you're listening to this and the Giants blew them out, but who knows. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better.
3: Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
6: Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair?
1: Offer valid on select AK systems. through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
0: Um, let's get to some college stuff here because I want to get to um, this report that just came out. It's opening day rosters for the NFL and where these guys came from. So, uh, not a surprise uh, on the uh, weekend, opening weekend rosters in the NFL, Alabama had more players than anybody else. Not a surprise. Number two, Ohio State. Wouldn't say that's much of a surprise either. Number three, LSU, uh, then number four, Georgia. So you've got Alabama, LSU, Georgia. Those are three of the top five. There's a reason why we say the SEC is a football factory.
4: I mean, there's there's a reason why. I mean, there's a reason why you put your best scout in the southeast to do that because that yeah. uh, that area, from a geographic standpoint, is plentiful when it comes to A-level talent that comes out of there. Even if they don't go to SEC schools, when you go back and track NFL rosters, there's a ton of talent that comes out of that southeastern region. And then when you go to the SEC and the ball, and for a long time, uh, when we were in the business, it was style of play married up really well with the National Football League. When everyone else was out there in the Big 12 and even in the pack, throwing the ball all over the yard in the SEC, they were still playing old 70s and 80s football yeah, lining up and two formation. back coming down <laughs> Um yeah. you you knew that the running backs that came out of that league were old school hammerheads that could um that had the requisite toughness that you needed. You knew in the trenches you got the play, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, and those things. For a while there, you didn't really get pass catchers, but then that started to shift when they started throwing the ball around more. And so right now the SEC just has it because they're just built different, DJ. I mean, I I don't care what you say. Like, they're just built different. When you go to a game, you go to an SEC game, and not only step on the field and look at the players, they look different, but the crowd, the fan, it's just a different atmosphere. So if you can play in that element, you absolutely should be able to play in the National Football League.
0: So a couple other nuggets there, Buck. Um, I mentioned Georgia there. um, Tied with them is Notre Dame then you've got Clemson, then Iowa. Interesting. Then Michigan, then Florida, then Penn state. So, I mean, I talk about the sec and you see Florida in there as well. The big 10, when you look at Ohio state up where they are, mm-hmm. um, Iowa's done a nice job. Michigan's done a nice job. Penn state's done a nice job, which that to me lends back to our conversations we we're having about the USC job and people saying, Oh, you know, you can't James Franklin, you know, the way to see, I'm like, James Franklin's putting a lot more guys in the NFL than USC is and with not nearly the same location um, and and resources. I mean, Pennsylvania's got good high school football. It's not Southern California.
4: No, it's not. Uh, I think the interesting thing that comes to mind, one, we need to give more credit because you brought his name up when we talked about the SC job. You better give Brian Kelly more credit for the developmental job that he's done with the players at Notre Dame because there was a time – Back, blue holes in that area, they were producing pros. But DJ, with some of the academic restrictions and stuff in terms of who can get in, it still has to be more of a developmental program than a football factory like Alabama and, and those things. The fact that they have the amount of players they have is a credit to him and developmental plan that he's put together with his coaches. The he's other put more thing players
0: was, out there than Clemson. Like I think if you ask the average fan, who has more NFL players, Clemson or Notre Dame? What, you know, they would all say Clemson.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's what you would think. Um And then, so, we knew the usual suspects in the Big Ten. Like, I'm not surprised Penn State. I'm not surprised Michigan. I'm not surprised Ohio State. Iowa. Iowa, yeah. Iowa is interesting, and it's interesting because of what we talked about, the developmental program. Now, all of the stuff that was tied to the strength coach in terms of, like, his behavior and what the alleged treatment was with athletes, like, that's reprehensible. You don't like that stuff. However, Part of the reason why it was attractive to an Urban Meyer um, when he tried to bring him into Jacksonville is because of what you listed. Iowa should not have more pros than some of these notable names. Iowa should not have more pros than Texas. They should not have more, more pros than some of these other established programs. But the fact that they did, man, that's all work. That's all them taking players and fully maxing them out over a four or five year run.
0: I think I have to. I just see the top ten here, but I believe, yeah, the <laughs> University of South South Carolina, right? University of South Carolina, South mm-hmm. Carolina, and UCLA. They're both in the top twenty, but USC's not. How is the other USC have more NFL players than, than the than the the USC that's got eleven national championships? Anyways, I won't, I won't, I won't rail on that, but that's. Uh, I mean, I mean, that's pretty they're, interesting. They're,
4: Where's something to say, like, with DJ, like, let's – I mean, let's, let's be real. Um, because I think we had the opportunity to scout SC, I would say, in one of the heydays, right? Mm-hmm. The Pete Carroll era was great for scouts to go there and watch. And you think about the players that you had a chance to watch. They had offensive linemen. They had skill guys. They had backs. Like, they had a ton of
0: – A bunch of defensive through. linemen.
4: Defensive players. The Wazoo, like a bunch of talented players, it dipped for a bit, and they don't look the same as they looked back then. Like they looked like a pro team back then, like they were built a certain way, and those things. And so, whoever takes over, um, that has to be a priority to not only pick the right players, but you got to make sure that they're developed and they look a certain way when they run onto the field. Because one thing that you and I know, particularly when we go to games, because we don't go to as many as we used to. When you're body typing them, they are mm. teams that when you go oh, see all
0: oh, The game's uh, over. Man. Once they come out of the tunnel, you're like, well, that's this one's over. You, you want to have a
4: good-looking squad. You want to have a yeah. team that looks the part. And there's a difference when you see Alabama run out the tunnel and some of these other teams.
0: All right. Two other nuggets there. Uh, seven of the 32 starting quarterbacks hail from the state of Texas. Um, 20 of the 32 starting quarterbacks week one of the NFL season are in their 20s. So, we really do. I mean, Tom Brady's still – he's a defending champ uh, in his mid-40s, but the majority of these quarterbacks here, we've got guys really, really starting to go into their prime here.
4: No, they're going into their prime, and the league is changing right in front of our eyes because the old guard, Drew Brees, uh, Tom Brady's still in there. Philip Rivers is gone. Phillip Phillip Eli Lewis. Manning's gone. Eli Manning's gone. Ben is nearing the end. Aaron Rodgers might be nearing the end at his age. And so we have Matt Ryan, who is nearing the end. So now we have these young, hip, uh, mostly athletic quarterbacks that are in the position,
0: mm-hmm.
4: seeing different stuff. I mean, we're just seeing a different, a different game is being played now than when we were scouting back in the 2000s.
0: Oh, no, it, it was interesting. Um, all right, so those are some nuggets there from the, the opening day rosters. You go into your shower feeling tired. One other thing I want to get to, um, and we don't need to go long here, Buck. I know uh, um, there's other things got to get accomplished today. But Derek Stingley from LSU, corner, highly highly rated. Now he had he got beat up a little bit against uh, Devontae Smith. Um, he's had some issues against some. Last year was not a great year for me for him. The year before was better. Um, this year, and watching and watching their tape against UCLA. Bucky is not he is not aggressive as no. a tackler he is not no. want he is not showing a lot of want to as a tackler and that to me I want to get your thoughts on it because back in the day and Dion famously said it you know right they pay me to cover um, but Dion I think his reputation was that he didn't tackle Dion would get guys on the ground he might not want try and knock somebody's head off but he, he got him on the ground uh, but for lack of want to I just I go back and um, What's the corner with Jacksonville, Buck, out of Florida? Uh, oh, C.J. Henderson. C.J. Henderson wouldn't tackle anybody. And that was like, I, I see the movement and I see the ability and the talent. But with the way the game's played right now, maybe you can explain that uh, to folks. But just how, how different the game is played now, which necessitates that your corners be able to tackle.
4: Your corners have to be able to tackle. Like the days of the shutdown, lockdown, cover corner, uh, those days going by the wayside, you have to be able to tackle. Now, there's a difference between being a tackler and being a hitter
0: yeah a
4: hitter strikes with the kind of force that he's trying to knock you out A tackler just has to be able to make clean tackles sure tackles get the guy to the ground and go play the next one it's hard to play a long time in the national football league when you're a hitter
0: because you're throwing <laughs> yourself
4: around and yeah. those things you can play a long time if you're a tackler, but you got to know exactly how you're tackling you got to tackle low you got to tackle and get off the field what you cannot have on your defense at the nfl level you can't have cowards on the edges who will not throw themselves into the mix to get guys down. Because if you have someone who doesn't have the courage to do it, it it wrecks your defense. And know this, from an offensive standpoint, wide receivers are being instructed to leave the corners alone and go dig out the safeties. We're going to leave the corner unblocked, and that is the running back's man. So if you can't tackle, the ball will
0: tend to find you. Yeah, and think about you know, especially with this Shanahan system, how much tight bunch that you get, and so now you're bringing little guys into the box. And like you said, mm-hmm. we're not blocking the little guys. That's we'll let the running back deal with him. We can use our receivers to go in there and try and do some dirty work and double up and and peel off linebackers. But we're going to leave that little corner there. And see if he wants to set the edge. You got. I mean, again, you don't have to be. You don't have to be what Jalen Ramsey is when he's torpedoing everybody and, and, mm. and collecting tackles for loss. But if you can just – we call them like the old school, like like the fireman tackle, right? Just slide down the pole, hold on to the legs, and get get them to the ground. That's down. it. Crocodile yeah. out death row.
4: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, DJ, it's a thing that you have to look at, and it's a thing that needs to be talked about. And I know that during the run-up to the draft, people are like, oh, you focus on all these things that don't matter. But what happens when you ignore it in the pre-draft process, and then you get to the main camps and training camps, and all of a sudden he doesn't – he doesn't he didn't do it. want it. it yeah. It yeah it you got You got to have smoke, and, and it makes it hard. Yeah. And
0: and I, and I will and say I, this. Go yeah,
4: ahead. I will say this. Know the kid because you got to interview him and then you got to know the temperament of your room and the culture of your room. Because um, as someone who wasn't always the most physical, I ended up being more aggressive and physical in Kansas City because of the level of expectations that everyone knew when it came to a physicality standpoint. Just like, you know, in Baltimore, if you come to the Baltimore Ravens on defense, they ain't tolerating a whole lot of missed tackles and and, uh, non-courageous plays. And so Mm -hmm. you have to know that and you have to make sure that either he has the character and the mindset and the mentality to be able to kind of up it a little bit or you can't bring him in because you're going to be frustrated because he's going to miss a critical tackle in a game that costs you a playoff break.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just... It, you can't really play with corners that won't tackle anymore. You just can't. Like you, just, you can't survive out there. They're going to get exposed. Where it used to be, um, you know, look, there's ten other guys to get the guy on the ground. I go cover somebody, but this is not the way the game is anymore, man. It's just, it's just not. No, it's not. It's a different thing. You better be able to tackle. All right. Anything else you want to add here, Buck? Before we jump out of here.
4: No, I love that discussion. I love the discussion on tackling because it does come up, and it's one of the things where, when you're scouting, uh, you can get seduced into watching the touch tape. Mm-hmm. DBs covering who catches balls or whatever, but you better watch them in a full game to see how engaged they are in the run defense process, because it's a huge part of um, building team. You got to be able to stop the run. You got to have corners that can do it.
0: Do you tackle in practice as a high school coach now? It's, I know everything's different, but what do you do? Yeah, no, nah,
4: we, we tackle, but we're more of the the Dartmouth approach a little bit. Like it's a controlled tackling but we tackle every day we tackle all summer we tackle in the spring we tackle all the time Mm -hmm. bodies on bodies because the technique but we don't necessarily bang like we used to do in yesteryear yeah yeah. but you have to tackle you want to be a good tackling team you got to tackle you have to tackle all the time
0: yeah that's interesting man i know some um some high schools they just don't they just don't do it you know they just don't tackle anymore so
4: it's funny i'm really impacted a couple of different things one buddy tevens and all the stuff that they were doing at dartmouth i thought it was really smart how they did it but secondly, when we interviewed Joe Montana on the podcast, Joe Montana talked about the number one goal is to get people to game day fresh and ready to go. Yeah. High energy, high tempo, whatever. And I remember being in Green Bay and Coach Mike, Mike Holmgren had a similar philosophy. And so I was like, mm, we'll work hard. we gonna play hard. we yeah. have some fun with this.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate you guys hanging with us today. Uh, again, I hope this this uh, episode and that topic on the Bengals proves that if you reach out to us and tell us, hey, we want to hear more about this or that or the other, uh, we're listening. We got our ears open. So appreciate you guys hanging with us. Uh, again, the TV show next Monday, you can find that. That is 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific. Uh, you can find the Move the Sticks show with Bucky, myself, and Rhett Lewis. Um, and uh, feedback was good week one, so everything went well there. So appreciate you guys hanging with us. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks.